I'm Drew Landry, Senior Pastor at Spotswood Baptist Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I appreciate you tuning into our podcast. We've been thinking about our culture and having biblical conversations with our culture. We have been asking and answering the question, do I think and live biblically? Joining me today is Jason Thacker. Jason serves as the Chair of Research and Technology and Ethics and Director of the Research Institute at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Jason serves as an adjunct instructor of philosophy, ethics, and worldview at Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky. He's also the author of several books, including Following Jesus in the Digital Age and the Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. Jason serves as the editor of the Digital Public Square, Christian Ethics in a Technological Society. His work's been featured at Slate, Christianity Today, the Gospel Coalition, and Desiring God. Jason is a graduate of the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. He has a Master of Divinity from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he's currently pursuing a Ph.D. in Ethics, Public Theology, and Philosophy. He is also an associate fellow with the Center for Public Theology in Cambridge. Jason, I uh, really appreciate you joining me today. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I have mentioned a number of times in sermons that it's impossible to cover all of the content when we deal with issues in our culture today in one sermon, two sermons, or, or, or 10 yeah. sermons. I, I'm sure the same is probably true uh, of a podcast. So, I have no expectation that we're going to answer all of the questions today about cancel culture. Um, I, I'm not an expert. I don't know that if there's anyone who could be an expert of all the challenges that we deal with in the 21st century, but I do appreciate your help uh, in dealing with cancel culture. Um, I think I've covered all of the who you are as far as papers concerned, education, things that you're doing uh, out in the public scene. T tell us who Jason Thacker is personally. Tell us something about your your wife, Dory, and, and your two boys. Yeah. Well, most importantly, I'm a follower of Christ. I became a believer when I was 18 years old, right before I went to Tennessee. Um, and it was while I was there in Knoxville uh, that I fell in love with the local church. Uh, that's always been a passion of mine of loving and serving and being part of the local church. Um, so even through my academic career, my writing, the research that I do and the work that I do with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, um, first and foremost, you know, a member of local church and um, a follower of Christ. And then my wife, Dory, uh, we've been married for almost eight years. Uh, and we have two sons, a five-year-old and a four-year-old named Hollis and Porter. And they uh, they keep us active, to say the least. Uh, with two boys, they are rambunctious, full of energy. Um, and you may or may not hear them in this podcast because they are downstairs. Uh, we don't nap anymore in our house, so uh, sometimes it gets a little loud around here. <laughs> well, maybe I should interview the boys. <laughs> <laughs> Obvious place to start. Um, what What is cancel culture? C can you give me a definition, a succinct definition, probably out of the question? Define it for me. Yeah, I think one of the things that we do when we, we face a lot of kind of the challenges of our day is that we often think that they're brand new, uh, that a lot of the challenges faced, especially in the digital age that we live in, are somehow new and kind of novel. In reality, they're not. Often there are a lot of some of these age-old questions and issues that we've dealt with as a society, uh, but they've been kind of put on steroids uh, because of just the sheer amount of information and connectivity we have. So I think a lot of times when we think of cancel culture, folks will think, 
oh, that's kind of a new thing in the age of social media. Well, in reality, the things you said and did have always been uh, used against you in some sense, especially in the court of public opinion. Um, but especially in a social media age where we're so hyper-connected, I think we have we have more access to information than we could ever hope, uh, ever have hoped for, and even past generations had in their entire lifetimes. We have, with a few flips of our thumb on our smartphones, we have access to not only good content, maybe whether it's Bible apps and prayer apps and commentaries and study guides and resources and podcasts, even like this one. But we also have access to a lot of bad information as yeah. well or needless information uh, that really doesn't help or do much for us other than distract us. And so cancel culture in some sense is a newer phenomenon, even though I think it's kind of an age-old route, uh, where often something is said or done, especially years ago, that is resurfaced often by someone's political enemies, social enemies, mm. um, to kind of cast doubt or to tear down someone uh, often in some type of attack, um, whether it's uh, pulling up an old tweet or a Facebook post or something that someone has written and use that now to kind of defame them or to take them down or to ruin their credibility. Um, and cancel culture can have really, it can be a little thing uh, that's not over, it's not super meaningful, um, but it can have life altering uh, effects as well. Um, whether it's losing someone's job, losing uh kind of their public respectability or what what have you. And so I think as Christians, when we think through ideas of cancel culture, we have to be pretty nuanced and thoughtful um, about not only what it is, um, but also how do we respond um, in a culture that does kind of seek to cancel other people or to shut other people down. Um, I think we have to think really deeply and wisely about how we use technology and also what it's doing to us in terms of forming and shaping the way we see the world around us. Mm. You know, I, I have been asking and, and answering that question, do I think and live biblically as we take a look at some of these cultural issues? So I, I 100% agree. Um, why did you choose to write about cancel culture? What, um, you, you've written and certainly spoken about a number of our cultural issues, but what, what drew you toward cancel culture? Well, a lot of times, so a lot of the things that I've focused on are specifically the nature of Christian ethics, so a host of political, social, and cultural issues. And then also one of the kind of specialties and kind of interest areas of mine is technology, um, and namely kind of the social media, internet culture in which we inhabit. Um, and so naturally, when you start to think about the way that technology is shaping the, the ways we approach issues of the public square or engage public or engage other people or um, engage in social debates, et cetera. Cancel culture just continually kind of comes up. Um, it's always kind of rising to the fray because you see whether it's on social media um, where someone will kind of pull up an old tweet and kind of show, oh, look at them. They have no respectability, no credibility. They can't speak to this issue or even finding very hypocritical statements. Uh, we're often, especially in kind of our social media age, we're tempted to kind of follow the crowd Mm-hmm. Um, or to just kind of tweet often our unformed and uh, not always very thoughtful opinions about a host of issues <laughs> as they happen. Um, and there's a whole lot that goes into that in terms of personal responsibility, not just to avoid cancel culture, but mainly to honor Christ. Yes. Uh, it's about being thoughtful about the things that we share, uh, being thoughtful about the things that we post online and how we interact with other people as fellow image bearers of God. Um, but 
cancel culture has kind of taken off in some sense in this age of social media because it's just easier to access mm. things. Mm-hmm. It's easier to do the oppo research or opposition research uh, that's so common in like political circles just because there's just more information than there's ever been. There's more availability and accessibility to this information than there's ever been. And so I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing a rise of it. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to kind of focus on it because I think Christians, especially Christian leaders, uh, need to be very, very thoughtful, not only about the things they post online, the way they interact with other people, but also being thoughtful about the way that technology is shaping us. Um, and I, I like to talk about it in my latest book, Following Jesus in a Digital Age, about how technology is discipling us. Mm. It's forming us into very particular types of people that are not always um, in line with our faith. And so it always reminds me of Romans 12, too, where Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. He's assuming you will be. Mm. You are being shaped and formed, whether it's to this world, or. but we need as Christians to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Um, and so when we're being conformed and shaped in a particular way amongst this world, especially in that digital age, we as Christians need to slow down, ask some of those hard questions, mm. and be thoughtful about the way we approach a lot of the big political, social, and cultural issues, um, but also the way that we speak biblical truth in a very pluralistic and a very divided age. You used a phrase, and you know, seminary graduate you are, Christian ethics. Yeah. For people who may or may not be followers of Jesus Christ or may or may not have been to seminary who listen to the podcast, what do you mean Christian ethics? Unpack that. Yeah, and that's where I, um, I, I, I'm a Christian ethicist by training, and a lot of times people think, oh, that's some like weird philosophical thing. Absolutely, or you deal I agree with, with those, them. <laughs> you, yeah, you deal with those kind of almost impossible questions, or you think it's kind of a dry and boring subject that you had to take a business ethics class, or you had to take a medical ethics class of, you know, how to do the right thing. And those are very true. That's obviously part of ethics. But I think one of the ways that when we as Christians think about ethics, we need to think about discipleship. Mm. In reality, we are facing ethical decisions, moral decisions, decisions where we have to choose between the right and the wrong and seek wisdom in the midst of these things, um, that's the nature of discipleship. Yes. And so I love, there's a quote from a, uh, a very famous uh, theologian named Carl Henry uh, that listeners may or may not be familiar with, but Carl Henry was kind of a titan um, of evangelicalism and Protestant uh, faith. And he always taught, he, he kind of referenced the idea that theology, which I think most of us are familiar with and see the need for studying theology, he would say that theology is God speaking to us, revealing himself to us specifically in scripture um, about the way, who God is, what, who Jesus is, what the gospel is, the doctrine of the Trinity, all of these kind of teachings of, the, of this Christian faith. And then he also says, not only is God theology God speaking to us and revealing himself, ethics is our response. And I love that because it's basically saying God is speaking to us. He's calling us to act and to live in a very particular way. And that study of how we live and how we interact and the things we do in terms of discipleship and the types of people we are, that's Christian ethics. And so ethics isn't some kind of disconnected, um, kind of far off, kind of just weird philosophical discipline or something that's very academic and dry and boring. It's actually something that we do every single day. We're making ethical decisions. 
we just may say it's about Christian life or decision making or, you know, what do we do with this job or what do you do in this particular situation? Um, but ethics is really one of the core, the two kind of core disciplines, I guess you can say, of the Christian life. We're all theologians in the sense that we have an understanding of who God is, but we're all ethicists in the sense yes. that we're making moral decisions every single day. And the question is, are we doing that right? And are we doing that in accordance with the scriptures um, and how God has revealed himself? And so that's, that's really essentially the nature of Christian ethics is essentially discipleship. How then do we live in light of the truth of who God is and what he did for us on the cross in Christ? I love you making that connection. Every follower of Jesus Christ is a Christian ethicist. We have to get our ethic out of the church and out of the classroom and into our culture. And I think for me, that's where the divide has become as, as a senior pastor. This is who I am on Sunday. And then Monday through Saturday, this is where I live, where I work. And, and this is who I am. It's, you know, a, a, a skin of schizophrenic Christian for lack of better term. And, and I do believe some of the challenges that we're dealing with as Christians in this culture is there hasn't been an, an integration between what what we believe, the conversations we have, and how we live our lives as disciples of Jesus yeah. Christ. So thank you so much for pulling that together, because I think that's one of the reasons why we're uncomfortable in this culture is we just haven't taken who we are as disciples into our culture. And now, you know, our culture is basically challenging us. Are you going to live as a follower of Jesus Christ biblically or not? And I... Mm -hmm. <laughs> You, to me, home run. Thank you so much. Uh, you read exactly what I wrote to you perfectly, so thanks for doing that. Um, any, any, any certain thing happen in your life that began to draw you towards some of these cultural things? Was, was there a, 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 an event? Uh, was there a conversation, um, a, a book? I mean, why have you been moved in this direction in, in, in your life and ministry? Yeah, I think a lot of it kind of comes from my story. Uh, so as I said earlier, um, I, I didn't become a believer in, in Christ until I was 18 years old. Um, but I was raised in a very Christian-type culture, mm -hmm. meaning we were in and out of various churches, various denominations, kind of throughout most of my life. I would have said I was a Christian, mm. um, but there wasn't any change of my life. There was maybe some beliefs in some sense of, yeah, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the cross, etc. But I didn't really understand sin. I didn't understand my personal rebellion. I didn't understand uh, kind of the life-transforming nature uh, of what it meant to be a Christian until I was 18. But my dad actually worked for a Fortune 500 uh, tech company growing up. Um, so I was very familiar with technology, mm. uh, very familiar, very That's comfortable around technology, uh, more on the hardware side than a lot of the software sides, especially popular today. Um, and so I always liked technology. And so I had that, and then I became a believer when I was 18. I felt calling in to serve the local church. I didn't know exactly what that meant mm -hmm. um, until I was later on in seminary and kind of realized some of my passions and desires and stuff like that. But it honestly wasn't until um, about probably seven or eight years ago that I was here at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I was serving the communications area um, in a different area than I am in now. I'm over research. Uh, but at the time... Um, I started reading a book. Um, it's a New York Times bestseller now, um, but it's a book called Homo Deus. And for most listeners, that's probably, that's Latin. <laughs> Essentially means the God man. Mm -hmm. um, and it's written by a non-Christian, uh, a, non uh, a Jewish man 
um, who's not Jewish, um, you know, in terms of faith, he's just ethnically Jewish. Mm-hmm. His name's you all know Harari. Um, and Harari wrote a book about called Homo Deus. And the, the subtitle is the best. It's called a brief history of tomorrow. Mm. And I absolutely love that idea um, of a brief history of tomorrow. Cause what he's writing about is the nature of technology, where we are, the advances of that we've had and where we're heading. Like what kind of his predictions for where we're heading. And as I read this, I was deeply struck by not only the thoughtfulness and the care at which he took uh, working through some of these issues, um, but I was also deeply struck at the lack of um, kind of a biblical worldview. Now, I'm not Mm -hmm. shocked that he's not a Christian Mm -hmm. and wasn't promoting like Jesus and the scriptures and that kind of thing. I wasn't shocked by that. I was just more shocked that Christians hadn't been kind of engaging someone like Harari in his ideas. And so I actually just ended up writing something Mm -hmm. um, in response. And the more I wrote, the more I read, and the more I wrote, the, you know, the more I read, the more I wrote. And yeah, that kind of spiraled yeah, into yeah. a lot of the research that I'm doing now. So it kind of started organically. It wasn't something that I ever started off uh, specifically pursuing, per se. Uh, but the Lord's been very kind to be able to write on the nature of Christian ethics, to be able to write on the nature of what is technology, how is it forming and shaping us, and doing that through a number of books, a number of research projects, and even kind of studying that more formally in a seminary setting. Well. You definitely have a passion, and I really appreciate the way you you communicate because it's very clear, it's very practical, it's very applicable. Uh, you don't have to be a, a seminary-educated theologian to take some of the things that you've said and just put them into practice in conversations, in relationships, in the home, in the workplace, on the campus of school. So you've done a fantastic job. It's interesting how you use that word organic. Yeah, growing up in the home where I guess there were computers everywhere, you begin to see that, you know, God was at work all around you and you just joined him where he was working and and he gave you that passion. So yeah, I'm, I'm, okay. So let me, let me throw out a couple of terms here. Um, and if you would connect them to cancel culture, great. If not, uh, why would you differentiate? Uh, t- talk about the difference or the similarity between ghosting and cancel culture. Uh, would you connect a uh, phrase gaslighting with cancel culture today? How, how does all that fit or do they not fit at all? I think there's definitely a lot of overlap. And so I think we can kind of take a step back and understand um, what social media in particular is doing to us. And in many ways, what it's doing is by design, this, you know, these apps and these platforms are designed by human beings for a particular purpose. And I think that's something about technology that we often fail to think about. We just see technology as simply a tool. And that's true in some sense, but it isn't a tool that we just use for good and bad. It's a tool that has an inherent design and purpose in it. And so, and it's shaping and forming not only the way we see God, uh, the way we see ourselves, mm. and particularly the way we see the world around us. Yep. And what it's doing, and in many ways, is it's forming and shaping us to always have an opinion about everything. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of the nature of Facebook and Twitter. You, you open up these apps, and they, they prompt you to say, what's happening? What's on your mind? Yeah. Or they make it very easy to share information. Um, whether it's true information or false information, whether it's good information that's righteous and holy and Mm -hmm. God-honoring or not. It makes the ease of sharing these things very easy. Now, 
all of that can be a good thing in some sense. I mean, more information is not bad. It's something that we can not only expose evils and injustices in our world, um, but also information often helps to lift people up mm-hmm. um, and to empower them. But in the same respect, that same technology that can be good and be used for good can also have really dangerous effects where it causes us to think we have to have an opinion on everything that crosses our <laughs> to be inundated or overwhelmed with the sheer amount of information we're exposed to each day. It's impossible for us to process that much information. Mm-hmm. So I say all that to say is getting into some of these terms like gaslighting or ghosting and those types of things, these are like new almost like they're newer terms often, but they're kind of describing, again, some of these age-old questions and ideas, but just in light of a lot of new opportunities. And so things like, you know, ghosting or uh, stepping back or just kind of disappearing online, I kind of wish in some sense we all, <laughs> more of us did that, um, is that we don't need to be constantly connected. And specifically, that's often used in a particular context of ghosting someone yeah, yeah. in particular, uh, where you're not just kind of stepping back in general, you're stepping back from a particular conversation. And yeah. sometimes that can be good. Often that can be used as a form of intimidation yes. or silencing. Um, and so there's there's some good and bad, I guess you could say, in that. Um, but then some other terms in, that were often used, especially surrounding cancel culture, um, is that we often feel the need to quickly, especially in our divided age, or mm. what some, some will say in terms of polarization yes. or tribalization, yep. kind of bigger terms, and all they simply mean is that we're very divided over some fundamental issues in our society, uh, whether it's the nature of gender and sexuality, whether it's the nature of government, whether it's the nature of social ethics and justice issues, whether it's just really the nature of God and even the nature of the good or ethics and how we should then live. We're very much divided. We used to have more of uh, shared commonalities amongst our society. Today, we're very, very, very divided. Mm-hmm. So many will use social media in order to kind of make those tensions worse, to make those polarizations worse, to make those divisions worse by caricaturing other people and their views, by not speaking honestly about what someone actually believes mm-hmm. or using things and becoming overly politicized where everything um, is tied to our identity, not in Christ, not as the body of Christ, but tied to our political affiliation. Yeah. Yep. And that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to involve, be involved in politics. We very much are as Christians. I mean, politics is really the way we organize society. But we can also quickly let politics become an idol mm. where we're more tied to our party's platform or our party's leaders than we are to the you know the biblical revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, where those things can be manipulated and twisted. And so in the midst of a lot of these larger ideas um, and larger kind of issues surrounding social media, we have to be very tempted because people can say one thing uh, and do something very different. Mm -hmm. They can say one thing publicly. Uh, This is often happens in politics where something is said publicly, but behind the scenes, that's not really what's going on. Unless we think it's just those people over there doing that. We also do the same thing. We say we believe one thing and we do another. Mm. Or as we kind of connecting it back to something we said earlier, we have theological beliefs, but our actions don't correspond. Our ethic yeah. doesn't correspond to what we say we believe. Yeah, disconnect. This isn't just an out there problem. It's an in here problem too. all of us 
just by nature of being human in a sinful and broken world, our beliefs and our actions don't always align. And so some might even say that we're gaslighting. Mm. We're saying one thing and mm. we're doing a that's, completely different. That's a good thought. And that's not just somebody out there. Yeah. It's really it's all of us. It's the nature of sin. It's being broken um, in need of redemption in Christ. And so I say all that to say when we think about kind of cancel culture, it's easy to say, well, it's this political movement or this, this group over there that's doing it. But in some sense, we all are kind of participating in this larger culture. And that's why I think we need to recover wisdom. We need to recover the place of ethics and discipleship. And we need to recover a distinctly Christian vision for engaging kind of the culture in which God's placed us today. Do you think um, we're using, can, and, I, and I guess use the word we, let, let me lay back up, let me ask this differently. Do you think that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are... Uh, using the cancel culture as an excuse to keep from listening to people who have different views. I think that's very possible. Um, I think they're in, I, I, I'm hesitant to always say that all of us do this yeah. or all of us do this. Yeah, the majority hard question of us, or most of us and things yeah. like that. Is, and I wasn't kind of critiquing even the way you said it as much. It's just, I think one of the things, the temptations in the digital age is to go faster, 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 to be mm. more efficient. Mm. And so one of the problems with that, though, is that we can often lose the complexity of situation, um, more so the complexity of people, uh, that just because someone believes a certain thing doesn't mean that they believe a host of other things. They mm. are very complex. Maybe they're nuanced. Maybe they hold a particular position on X, but not on all these other issues. Well, that doesn't always play well in the partisan games that we have today, um, where it's, you, are you with me or are you against me? Yeah. And that's not often kind of this idea of lumping where we start to lump people together, regardless of what they actually believe to say, oh, you must be an X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. because you said you believe this. Well, maybe people are more complex than that. Um, but I think one of the things we need to slow down and start to ask some of those questions is, you know, what is cancel culture? When we ask that question, we can easily kind of conjure up images. Well, it's when those people right. cancel us. Yeah type of idea. Well, in reality, cancel culture is just kind of a new turn on the phrase of um, of the ways that we interact with people, the way that we platform people, the influence that people have in our lives. But cancel culture often becomes a, a weapon to be wielded against yeah. that the other that other those people over there or the, the other tribe or group, rather than actually something that maybe maybe we actually participate in cancel culture. Unknowingly, we may not do it with bad intentions per se, um, but whether it's a Christian leader who falls and we say, you know, I have to kind of disassociate myself not only with some of those things, but maybe some of those ideas, or maybe we say, you know, you're not you're not with us anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's, whether it's church discipline or whether it's uh, denominational issues and things like that, is to step back and say, you know, we have to kind of draw clear boundary lines. Um, of to be affiliated or to be known as X, Y, and Z. And so some people, especially those who don't like the way that Christians utilize cancer or talk about cancel culture may say, well, you're all participating in cancel culture too. Yeah. yeah. And I think that there's maybe some truth mm-hmm. to that, but we also have to think about the heart and our motives and why we're doing what we're doing, why we're saying what we're saying, doing what we're doing. And that's where I think the, the nature of wisdom comes in. 
biblical wisdom of understanding not only what we believe, but what we do and how interconnected they are. Um, and to make sure that all of our life, including our actions and our beliefs, magnify the Lord Jesus Christ rather than magnifying ourselves or trying to puff ourselves up. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest temptations of the digital age is that we tend to think about ourselves and puffing ourselves up rather than magnifying and glorifying Christ at all times, where he says, John 3.30 says, mm. uh, I must decrease so that he might increase. That idea that Christ, like focusing everything, having a God-centered perspective on everything necessarily means that I have to step out of the limelight. I'm not the center of my universe. It's not all about me. No matter what social media tells me, no matter what the culture tells me, no matter what my own heart might even tell me, this isn't about me. It's about Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me go to an article that you wrote. Uh Christians and the and the cancel culture. You, you made a statement in there, and I'd just like to hear a little bit more about it. Um, cancel culture has become the norm now. Um, what, what's the background of that? Is this something we just accept? Is this something, okay, well, I have to comply here, or do I just ignore that statement? Help me, help me understand that from, from a biblical perspective, that this is the norm. Yeah. And, I mean, in reality, is especially in our kind of our social media age, the reason I say that uh, cancel culture has become the norm is because it's kind of expected. Okay. Um, it's expected in terms of the things we say, and this is, I think, some right aspects of it, is the things we say, the things we do matter. Mm-hmm. Um, it matters for integrity's sake. It matters for honoring Christ. It matter, matters for the, the beliefs of our local church and the integrity of our churches. Um, but I think cancel culture has become the norm because um, we live in a society that's all about me and about me gaining <laughs> influence, not me in particular. Because we all exist in this. Yes. But it's all about me. It's me-centered. It's about my truth, my reality, my life, my this, my that, you know, my job, my family, my everything. So it's all about me. And what we do is we can utilize these tools like social media and the Internet to make it all about me, mm-hmm. where we start to have power plays, where we start to use someone's faults against them. Um, and it, that makes sense if you come from a non-Christian perspective of like using someone's past sins and issues that they've had in a way to defame or to mock or to attack someone today. Um, you better believe, and I probably think this is true for you too, that when I was younger, I said and did a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> Um, thankfully most of that's not chronicled on social media. Um, that, and you know, even saying that even five or 10 years ago, you know, do I agree with every single thing that I've ever put in words ever? Well, no, I actually, I'm, I hope I don't in some sense, like obviously in the core beliefs and doctrines and ethics and things like that. Obviously I do. I hope that I am very uh, faithful in that sense. But I also am growing. I'm yes, becoming, maturity. you know, Lord yeah. willing, I'm becoming more like Christ. I'm yes. being matured. Um, I, there's that process of sanctification or becoming mm-hmm. more like mm-hmm. Christ. So I, in some sense, I kind of hope I've changed uh, because that becomes uh, means I'm growing in my faith. And so, but that's not always forgiveness or acceptance or understanding and seeing the sanctification process isn't always widely accepted in our culture. Uh, the things you said when you were 15, 
you know, obviously matter when you're 35. Yeah. And I'm like you. Thank, why it, thank the Lord there was no social media around then, man. <laughs> yeah. And then in reality is that our kids, especially young people in our churches, yes. this is the world in which they inhabit. Okay. We're posting kind of every Everything, single thing yeah. about our life, every intimate detail for the whole world to see. And even if we are private on social media or save or, you know, delete our accounts or what have you, once it's posted, we can just expect that it's always going to be there. Thank you. Someone could have saved it. Someone could have downloaded it. It's probably archived somewhere. Like there's just so many things. And so I think we have to be, there's so much that we could obviously unpack here, which we don't have time for, but about the nature of what we post online, why we're posting certain things online. Is it even good to post things online? What about privacy? What about, and you can just start to see that when we talk about Christian ethics in a digital age, there are just countless issues that we're going to have to address and think about, not just for academics, not just for pastors, but all of us, um, because this is a world in which we, are, we inhabit. We can often, we can have that nostalgic look of, oh, it used to be better. It used to be different. But you know what? The Lord didn't isn't He didn't place us there. Right. He placed us in right. this time and in this age for a particular purpose, for a particular reason. And the ultimate reason is to glorify Christ, mm-hmm. to make much of Him, and to make little of ourselves. Um, and so it, that's where we start. We have to think, uh, I think, wisely about the way we navigate a lot of these questions because they're important. Uh, Christian ethics matter yes. in a digital age. And especially when we have a lot of new opportunities to do things and to live out our sins and our rebellion and our vices just in new ways. We just have to be very thoughtful and cautious about that. Now, has Jason Thacker ever been canceled? I have attempted to be canceled. I'll say that. <laughs> um, the more the more you're outspoken, the more you write, the more influence, I guess you can say, you have and my friends know that I'm like cringing even talking about this because this is like the last thing I want to talk about um, is what the kind of the opportunities the Lord has given me. And I have to con- constantly remind myself all of the things that I've been able to do in life, um, books and podcasts and interviews and writing and teaching and all of this is because the Lord's doing mm-hmm. it. And I think that's the perspective I have to keep. But to say all that to say is the Lord has given me opportunities to speak clearly and boldly on some issues, to write on various things. And, you know, have I ever been attempted to be canceled? Probably. I mean, there's just the nature of social media trolls. Mm-hmm. Um, people, and that, that language is essentially just people or often or more often than not uh, bots, like robot accounts that aren't real people, um, trying to tear someone down trying to influence public opinion. Uh, you know, the old quote tweet mm-hmm. on, on Twitter is often not just used to say, oh, I really agree with this. It's often used to say, I can't believe someone would believe this. Look at this fool and whatever he says. And I can't believe, you know, they said X, Y, and Z, that type of thing. And so, yeah, I would say, yeah, I would say yes, but not nearly to the extent that some others in our society and in our cultures, especially even our churches make. And this isn't just about those in, you know, ministry per Mm -hmm. se. This can be business leaders. This Mm -hmm. can be families. This can be community leaders. This can be doctors. This can be a host of people um, where you gain enough notoriety or maybe you gain enough influence, you know, good godly influence that people see you as a target, as someone that they can use, want, 
for cancel culture purposes, is all about this allure of power. It's all about this allure of having authority and control um, over other people and what other people think. And so if there's an opportunity to use that to gain more power, people will use it every single time. And I think we just, that kind of calls us back to some of these principles, these ethical principles of how then should we live in light of these truths and not only of God's truth, but also the reality of the culture in which we inhabit. Now, I love what you said. Okay. I'm a business owner. I've, I live my convictions in the culture. Uh, I have been targeted and the pressure is now on. Do I, do I have conversations with certain people? Do I respond in a certain way? Um, I'm, how do I, how do I live through that? Yeah. I mean, in reality is there isn't a simple solution. There isn't like a five step plan and a checklist to, you know, fix it. Um, Part of that, I mean, in some sense, even in seminary, you sometimes, in some places, you'll take like crisis communication or crisis situations like pastoral ministry. Like, what do you do when things get real and they get really hard and difficult? Um, And I think some of the first, I said some of the broad principles would be to make sure you're not doing it alone. Mm -hmm. Um, Pull in trusted friends and family to be honest with you. I mean, the, the end of the day, Christians need to make sure that not only are we speaking truth, not only are we speaking truth with grace, but that we're also holding our integrity in faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the things we say matter. And if we made a mistake, we need to own, own it. it. Yes. And the reason what I say that is to say is if we said something dumb or we said something that was ungodly, we need to apologize not only and repent to the Lord for our sins, but also to other people that it may hurt. And I think we need to keep our integrity in line, not only in confessing and being honest about where we were wrong or did something wrong and being open about that, um, especially if it's something that's pulled up for 10 or 15 years ago and it's brought back up today Mm -hmm. to say, you know what? I've grown. I've changed. I'm sorry that I said that. Don't try to get away from it. Don't try to act like it didn't happen because that doesn't honor Christ. It did. But guess what? Our identity isn't found in ourselves. It's not found in our families. It's not found in our businesses. It's not found in our communities. It's not even found on bigger platforms and influence on social media or even in our churches themselves. It's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so that in terms of there may be actual public consequences for the things we do and say, but there also is salvation and forgiveness yes. of sin. I mean, Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a beautiful truth in an age that doesn't want to forgive to know that the Lord of the universe does. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, he wipes away our sins. And okay. so that's kind of the bigger, now that's to say that you actually did something wrong. Right. Um, now, that, now, if you didn't, there's also things you need to be honest about and having kind of community around you friends and family, church members, pastors to come alongside you to be kind of thoughtful about how you approach it because likely tensions are flaring. Temperatures are pretty hot right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be a lot of complexities to the specific situation. So there isn't kind of a one size fits all approach, but I say at the end of the day, we don't cower from speaking truth, but we're also not ne- unnecessarily obnoxious. Well, I love what um, you about said the, about the things we kind of say and do because we want to speak truth, but we also want to do so with grace. Yeah, 
and communicating the love of Christ when we do that. Well, I love what you said, Br- bringing some people around you, some some maturing Christian men or women who can encourage you, can pray for you, can walk through the challenge with you. Uh, yeah. You know, if necessary, uh, confront so that you can see, hey, this is an area where there really need to be some repentance in my life and to go in a different direction. Because I, I do think the alienation that sometimes the cancel culture uh, visits on the target, uh, it, it's, you know, I, I just quit. I'm out. I'm, so I, I think bringing people around us to help us live, you know, discipleship in community. Uh, our, our culture is desperate, I think, for community. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have it. And this is certainly a time where we need to lean into uh, the community that we have uh, to help us walk through crisis like this. Because I, I think you're right. Uh, cancel culture is the norm. And we need to learn how to to live as Christ followers, to be salt and light in a culture that maybe we didn't anticipate, but, you know, God certainly in his omniscience understands and knows why he's put us where we are. You know, we need to be the, the men of yeah. Issachar, I guess, in the culture that we're living in uh, in the 21st century. Um, yeah. final, final question, final thought here. If um, and, and this one kind of just flips it over a little bit. If say, say I or someone who listens to this podcast is involved in canceling someone. I mean, they they have targeted, and there's blood in the water, and there's sharks, and they're rolling in that direction. What type of biblical advice would you give to that person who's leading the charge at canceling someone? Yeah, I think first and foremost, we have to evaluate our actions and our purposes of why we're pursuing something like this. Um, I think the idea of cancel culture automatically kind of connotes this idea that it's wrong and that it's not good, uh, that there's some ulterior motives. And we need to be honest about maybe where that is mm-hmm. um, and be honest and be able to repent and being able to ask for forgiveness when we have wronged someone, mm-hmm. when we have hurt someone mm-hmm. or done something that was hurtful and wrong. Um, so I think there's that aspect of it. Um, but then two is it's, it's very easy in some sense, given the amount of information that we have today, the access to information, um, you can all you can always find dirt on anyone. Yeah, I think we have yeah. to remember that absolutely that all of us are fallen, that all of us are broken, Christian and non-Christian alike. That our sin um, is real, um, and that it affects not only ourselves but other people, and that our sin doesn't define us. And so I think for Christians specifically who are kind of engaging in some of these behaviors or engaging in some of these kind of these cultural patterns and things like that is to remember that you're not perfect either. Now that doesn't mean that you extend like a, a blank card or carte blanche and just say, you know, whatever happens happens. Like it doesn't matter. No, it really does matter. Yes. But in the same respect, we have to be thoughtful and wise and saying, you know what? I'm not perfect either. So why am I pursuing this? Is it to tear someone down or is it to actually speak truth? Mm -hmm. Is it to call out someone who's using their authority and their influence to abuse other people, whether physically or spiritually? Um, Am I using this to expose and to bring to light so that, you know, um, God might go to work and justice might be done? Or am I doing this for ulterior motives to serve myself or to build a platform? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of times uh, there was this phenomenon, especially on Twitter, 
but really on all of social media, especially yep. Facebook as well, yes. called discernment bloggers. Yep. yep. And discernment bloggers, I mean, in some sense, I, we all should be discerning people, but discernment bloggers were digging up things in order to cancel others. Uh, they weren't doing this for the glory, you know, to love God and to love our neighbor, as Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Uh, they weren't doing it for those purposes. Uh, they were often doing this to build a platform, mm-hmm. to build their blogs, to build their platforms, to get speaking engagements, to get X, Y, and Z, to get the public applause and the applause of men. And unfortunately, the applause of men fades. Uh, the things around us, the riches of this world will fade. Uh, but our eternal, our integrity, speaking truth, our, our salvation, our, our new life in Christ doesn't fade. It doesn't change. And so there may be times where we have to kind of check our motives mm-hmm. and what our purpose is and why are we doing these things? Is it about me or is it about God? Kind of going back to John 3.30. Yeah, is it, that's is what it, I was thinking as you're talking if, about If this. he's going to yes. increase, yeah. I must de- decrease. So who is it about here? Is it about me or is it about Christ? And we need to keep those two things. We need to keep that in mind through everything we do because it's so easy to fall into these patterns and it's so easy to fall into these patterns, especially for Christian leaders. This is not outside of us. This is not just a culture out there. It's a culture in here as well uh, that we do those things. And so we need to be thoughtful, careful. And it kind of comes back to kind of what we said earlier was, I have a group of friends that I text the things that I want to tweet to not only for approval, but sometimes so I just text it to them and they say, yeah, that was a bad taste or that's not a good idea. Or so often say, you, Do you, you feel bought those people you around that? you. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've intentionally kind of cultivated these relationships and these friendships so that I don't feel the need to post and to tweet every random thought and idea I have <laughs> because many of them are just bad. Like, and we have to admit that and having good, faithful, God honoring friends that are not only going to call you to the map and be honest with you, but they're also going to be there to let you vent and to share things and also to say, you know, man, that's a bad take Mm -hmm. that I don't think that's what's happening here. Or I think that is not helpful. I don't think that honors God. Um, And to kind of shut it down, man, that little bit of friction which is something we all need yes. in the midst of a social media age is all about faster, better, and stronger. That friction to slow down a little bit and to kind of check our motives, to check our uh, why we're doing these type of things, man, that can be life changing. Yeah. Um, and it gets you out of this habit of, I just have to comment on everything. No. You just don't. You yeah. really don't. It's, it's that, um, whole, that doesn't always honor the Lord. No. And, it, and to me, I, I hear as you're talking about those, those, that group of friends, putting, I think, into practice what Paul prayed, that that we would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That, that Those are your guards. Because, yeah, your, your yeah. heart, your mind, sometimes, good grief, can really get going in the wrong direction because, as you said earlier, you know, the temperature starts rising and uh, we, we say things, we tweet things that, is it about me or is it about Jesus Christ? Is he increasing yep. here or am I increasing here? I think that would help us exactly. a lot as Christians. And Jason, you have given a million things to think about here. Uh, I really appreciate you as an ethicist, 
walking us through some of these questions that I think we deal with when it comes to uh, cultural issues. And I like what you said, good or good or bad, there's a culture out there, but there's also a culture in here and we have to remember that. Yeah. And uh, I think sometimes we forget that. I, I can forget to communicate that and, and I need to try to make sure that I do communicate as Christians. We have our own culture. Um, Man, I, I am so appreciative. Uh, I really, really thank you for the time you took away from uh, those two boys this afternoon just to kind of talk through uh, some of these issues and conversations that we're having in culture. Thank you for the scriptures that you gave because that's the key, thinking and living biblically and making sure that we have uh, this biblical worldview. So thank you so much for your time this afternoon. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and I really do appreciate your ministry, especially on this podcast. I think it's a really helpful tool uh, for helping us to think deeply about the pressing issues of our day. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast, Conversations About Our Culture. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It will also be on our website, spotswood.org. I would also like to remind you one more time of what we covered in our very first podcast. Let's invite people into our homes who may not have the same convictions that we have about Scripture or even the same convictions we have about Jesus, and let's have some conversations. Thank you for listening to this podcast, and I look forward to having you join us in future podcasts as we continue to have conversations about our culture.